Welcome back to the Brooklyn Poets Yopcast for January 9th, 2017, featuring Joanna C. Valente leading our workshop and kicking off the open mic. I am your host and MC, Jason Koo. The Brooklyn Poets Yop is held on the second Monday of every month at 61 Local in Cobble Hill. That's at 61 Bergen Street, off the Bergen Street FG stop. For more information about the Brooklyn Poets Yop, go to brooklynpoets.org. This month's open mic lineup featured Charlene Guerna, Denise Bell, Becky Torog, Alexera Giorgio, Julia Lynn Mesler, Richard Fine, Abby Sayer, Harvey Sauce, Ricardo Hernandez, Julie Hart, Heather Hooper, Dario St. Fleur, Rachel Corso, Maggie McLeod, Bill Considine, and Courtney Toyaval. So let's get right to the action in January 2017. The Brooklyn Poets Yop Open Mic. Welcome back off this hat is hilarious. Do we have anyone who owns this hat with the emoji face? No? Okay, well, this is now. Yeah, this is now. I'm going to wear it now. Nice. Yeah, that's great. I'm sure. Thank you. Uh, welcome to the Brooklyn Poets Open Mic. As I said, there are some chairs in the front row. There are two, to be precise. Um, if you are standing over there, you're going to need to come over here because I need that space <laughs> to go back and forth and take pictures, uh, especially where you, Joanna, Rachel, and Tanner are all standing. That's like my prime photography position. So please clear out. Uh, there is space back here. You can sit on the floor over here. Lean against the, be careful. Not too many people lean against the railing. You might have a death. We've already had a near death tonight. It's a faulty chair. Yeah, there was a chair that like broke three times. Poor woman. Who was that person that was a terrible chair? Um, so she's still alive. Thank God. Uh, but, but yeah, maybe be careful. Maybe no more than three people leaning against that railing. In fact, don't lean. Just appear to be leaning. But don't, don't actually lean. And certainly don't sit, because that would be very perilous. Uh, this is the Broken Poets Yop Open Mic. If you haven't been here before, I am Jason Koo, the director of Broken Poets. Uh, welcome. It's great to see so many people, as I said before the break, so many people here for their New Year's resolutions, which is great to see. Uh, you've crossed that off. Now, now you just have to publish the poems that you wrote tonight. That should be second on your list. And then third is to become hugely famous and to shine uh, on Brooklyn Poets with huge donations. That should be like fourth or fifth on that list. That, you know, you can take several years to do that if, if necessary. Uh, if you haven't been here before, you get three minutes on the mic. There is a huge uh, list. The old main lineup usually consists of about 20 poets. The sign-up for that begins on our website right after this event ends. You can sign up on your phone. You can sign up on your laptop. Uh, what doesn't constitute a sign-up is talking to me. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't work because there are a lot of people, and the time is essential. So if I see someone sign up at 940, 
that person is before the person that signed up in 941 and so on and so forth. Uh, it fills up pretty quickly. This list has almost 50 posts on it, so I encourage you to sign up as quickly as possible to make sure you're on the main lineup. Uh, we try to get to at least a couple people on the wait list every month, but of course we can't get to everyone, otherwise we'd be here until midnight and we only have the room until technically like 9.15, 9.30. Uh, if you are reading tonight, please try to keep your time limit three minutes. We all know when you were going over, and it is not pleasant <laughs> for you in our heads. Um, a, a few announcements about the open mic. We do record it every month in a podcast that we call the Yopcast. So uh, if you are reading, you are essentially giving us your permission to use you on that recording unless you tell me otherwise. So if you don't want to be in the recording, just tell me or email me, and we will take you off the recording. It just, just creates a little extra work for me, which is great. Uh, so, you know, think about that before you tell me <laughs> that you don't want to be in the recording. Uh, it's just adding 10, 20 minutes to my day. Um, secondly, every month we vote for a poem of the month. Uh, a lot of you were here in December for our poem of the year Smackdown. What happens is that every month, by audience vote, someone is selected as a winner of poem of the month, and then the 12 winners of that face off in December at the end of the open mic for the coveted honor of Poem of the Year, which comes with a cash prize and uh, other swag. Poet of the Week feature and so on and so forth. Uh, lots of Tinder dates, you know, whatever else you can think of. So what happens is, uh, please wait until the end of the open mic if you can. Try to keep track. I'll try to repeat the poet's name after they have read. And then if you want to write this down now, I'll repeat it several times. You're going to text me your vote. You can either say the poet's name or the title of the poem, the number is 718-374-1953, okay? 718-374-1953. Try not to vote until the end of the night. Uh, even if you are here for a friend and know you want to vote for them, it's just, it's just disrespectful, you know? Uh, also, I think it makes my computer ding, which is annoying. Uh, am I forgetting, where's Arthur? It's like, the, he wins the opera of the year and then he checks out. <laughs> What's that? Oh, well, now I feel terrible. Yeah, you could have told me that privately, but then, now I feel really bad. Uh, sorry, Arthur. Please, don't tell Arthur that uh, I gave him shit after his mom died. Wow, that's terrible. Uh, now I'm going to have to text him. Um, anyway, I'm trying to like recalibrate my, my social... Racist at the moment. Am I forgetting anything, Ricky? I usually ask Arthur. That's why I'm bringing up Arthur. Uh, uh, or where's the offer of the year? Or he is the offer of the year. I'm losing my mind. Okay, well, hopefully I'm not forgetting anything. Uh, before we get to the main lineup, our first reader of the night is our professor, Joanna C. Valente, who you all, or most of you, took a workshop with. So please give a warm round of applause for Joanna Valente. Only feels the burning 
in a blaze of black fire. In a thousand desiccating suns as they die, heating the earth, and the overwhelming voice that fills your head says, we deserve it. I thought God was dead when he grabbed my pussy and shoved his cock inside a hole in my body where it could fit. Even when I said no, even when my hands flailed like the sun descending erratically, making strange sounds for this new world. I watched as my people fell from the sky out of long coffins that rose from the ground to where my mom told me angels live. But I stopped believing in them. When the black smoke rose and never left. Once I asked the sky, why did you leave us? Where are your hands? Where is the carcass that holds the heart that houses our hearts? Where is the ocean that can't live without light? I work for the newspapers. When I was a child, I believed in what the newspapers told me. All those faces drowned, all those men tearing other men apart with glass bottles in their bare hands. And this is when I saw the moon vanish from the sky and only the sun remained. And as a kid, I thought, this would be cool, having eternal light. But it hurt so much. It hurt too much. Are we being punished? A child asks her mother on the R train and the mother shakes her head and looks at the ground as if a snake or angel will appear. She's not sure which. At this point, she's not sure which is even the better option. Somewhere outside, a man is lighting a cigarette, doesn't understand what he has done wrong. Somewhere a child sees a newspaper headline, wonders if their dog could read, if God looks like a dog, and if that dog could also read. I see the child I grew in my uterus, the same child who was never born on the subway platform, and I don't feel regret only belly full of resentment for the men who hate my body because of what it can do. They try to stop it, control it, and all I can do is cackle while I push their heads underwater. So yeah, fuck Trump. <laughs> Taste of the first bite 
the perverted hope in his flesh. It's the same want to make the man who strangled you dickless. Drain the power from his body piece by piece. This man said you learned to exaggerate, to get a reaction from other men. It's what everyone in the magazine say. And you still love him sometimes, and you wish you didn't. I tell myself I've already forgotten you. That you came to me in a dream hovering over my bed like a man in a black suit. I don't know if you are real or if it's the dream that is real. I don't know which version of me is the real one, but I'll let you choose the most flattering version. That smell of wet skin burning, erosion by human. Sometimes I'm turned on by my own death. That's We do have a time, even for the professor. So we're trying to get the, the people downstairs to uh, turn their shit down <laughs> every month, man. It's like a new thing. It's like we don't bring enough people here on Monday night, and they're like, we need these crappy musicians. <laughs> uh, sorry, I really shouldn't say that. I can't actually even hear what they're playing. <laughs> I just know that it's annoying me. Uh, so our next vote up for tonight is Adela Sinclair. Give it up for Adela. Adela, why did you do that? <laughs> You're first on the list, and you couldn't email me and say you weren't coming. Okay, uh, our next poet uh, is a poet that goes by C. Alexander, so give it up for C. This is one way to make sure you never read here again. <laughs> I actually exchanged emails with this person. I asked him, is that do you is that the name you want me to use? C or is there a fire made? You know, I was like, really? <laughs> what should I call you? And then he goes, sure. Is Tiffany Callis here? How do you even know? You don't even know Tiffany. This is why you've been the author of the year. Wow, all these people in the first three poets are not here. Well, this next poet Say that again? It's your moan, bro. It's my what? Your moan, it's my Come on, it's you. Bring people down, it's you. Come on. I don't even know what that means, but uh, okay. <laughs> it's my moment. Our next poet has a check mark next to her, so I know she is here. Get up for Charlene Guerna.
dreamt that he came back. I dreamt that the idea of getting back together lingered in the air like the smell of fish. The way burnt toast leaves its mark in your kitchen after you've gotten rid of it. The need to address it set on our tongues but never left our lips. A couple wanting the same thing, the thing they weren't sure they could ever succeed in. Never releasing the idea into the universe for fear of failure and rejection. This relationship that seemed like mission impossible after several attempts. I dreamt that things didn't work out for him without me. That things never worked out for me without him. I'm referring to our love lives and those meaningless distractions. Those distractions that never seem to blossom into that beautiful white and lavender orchid he and I have worked so hard nurturing. They never make it past lust, validation, or temporary relief. <clears throat> you see, there's a difference between renting and owning. We are aware that renting leads to replacement, to own is to possess. <clears throat> we seem to own each other's hearts, even when we're apart. Our brains have no issue accepting what's right, but our hearts? Our hearts are the warriors who want to keep fighting relentlessly. I dreamt our sexual tension magnified our attraction for one another. He moved closer to me and I could feel the familiar change in my body. He placed his lips directly in front of mine, challenging me. I knew that once I took that step, I'd find myself right back on that carousel, where I feel unstoppable yet weak, where my confidence and insecurities battle infinitely, where inadequacy meets worth, and I'm just engulfed in a paradoxical cloud. I've spent so many nights craving the sound of his voice, daydreaming about a scene where he'd come back for me, where our souls intertwine, and I greet him with the biggest smile to ever decorate my face. Our relationship, this dystopian love of ours, is the only time I feel completely Poet is, I believe, a Brooklyn Poets Yacht Day viewer, so give her a warm round of applause. Give it up for Denise Bell. The poem that I'm going to read is called Bonds, and it's a uh, a bop, a poem that was uh, that was created by our uh, Will Lieber. Now I can turn on here. Right. Bonds. She stops, stares at the dead pigeon, notices mate standing by, gently wipes Aaron's dribbling mouth, and wonders what she makes the living watch over its dead. Bearing witness to who Aaron was is all she has left. And what will I do when my reckoning day comes? She sits Aaron down the times on his lap. It's a memorial to his once vital life force. She reads the headlines. His diminishment, fratricides, assassinations are the only thing fit to print. If Aaron could decide the page, change, the movement would become the core of their lives. She curses the karma that turned Aaron's roars into helpless yelps. And what will I do 
when my reckoning day comes. She watches the cleaner hurriedly throw the dead bird away, as if it didn't deserve respect, rituals, rights. The maid ends its watch. She hopes the bird will fly to the rays of comfort and peace. When death frees Aaron, she'll celebrate who he was with each rising sun. And what will I do when my reckoning day comes? Yes. Yeah. Denise, you know your life when someone's like, yes, on the front row. That's awesome. Uh, next up tonight is, I think, another debuter. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, give it up for Becky Torok. Thanks. 
so there is a chair right here. I would love it if one of you three would sit there, <laughs> just so we have a clear path for myself. Uh, but really, anyone take it. Uh, our next poet up is someone I just met whose name, uh, she told me how to pronounce it, I'm going to try to do my best. Just give it up for Alex Sir Giorgio. Judy Schneier here. 
Thank you, Ricky. <laughs> Our next poet is another Yop Day viewer. In fact, she almost didn't read because her uh, sign-up went to spam, but luckily it was rescued uh, because that's, that's how things are done with Brooklyn Poets in 2017. Give it up for Julia Lynn Mesler. <laughs> I also haven't done this before, so bear with me as well. What? <laughs> yeah. Um, so this poem was actually written back around the time uh, of the Eric Garner murder case. Uh, and I guess I'd call it Side by Side. If I were to wave a gun around my head out in public, I would survive. The first word on CB to the beat cops would be, white female, take her alive. There'd be questions of my sanity, because don't you know I'd never be a threat if I was in my right mind? I would beget care and compassion. Calculated risk and purposeful action, I bet their guns would never come out. They'd plead with me and beg me to see some reason with their hands empty. And if I was to disappear tomorrow, there would be outrage, outcry, and sorrow. Search parties would tear the whole landscape asunder, and every stone be overturned to live on which one I was under. And no wonder. Missing white woman syndrome. And yes, there'd be some people saying she should have stayed home, but compared to the alternative, both liberal and conservative, white women have the right to live without question. But when black women are murdered, media puts up their mug shots, so people look at them and then they say that them dumb thoughts deserve it. You've heard it. You've probably said it without realizing that you've been misled to discredit, dehumanize, and minimize the lives of thousands of girls, to dismiss them and belittle them in so many words. But to be honest, I don't know where to go from here because while I have righteous anger, I will never know fear yes. of the people who are meant to protect me. Yes. I'm still a first-class yes. citizen in post-racial society. Thank you. We come to like a mic drop. That was I think you got her vote. That was Julia Lynn Mesler. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Our next poet up needs no introduction if you've been here before. A Brooklyn poet's yop legend. Get up for Richard Fine. Diamond Needle skipped a lot, but we were still on track. The school gym was sectioned by basketball foul lines that none of us yet dared to cross. But the game was played by boys on one side, with ill-knotted ties and breaking voices that hardly spoke, while on the other side were chattering girls who were already dancing. But they were allowed to pair off and hold each other. Johnny Mathis was the Bible troubadour. And we boys were pages, mere yet to be knights. But none of us had to venture across but none of us <clears throat> had to venture across the foul line. Kathy, with red hair and no pimples, 
never looked at me. Barbara with brown hair glanced at me when, when I pretended not to look. Red-haired Kathy was every future night's holy grail, and she knew it. I, st I stuck my tongue at her. After all, she never looked at me. Barbara, lady of the brown hair, giggled and grinned at me. Her, my first dance loomed. My first dance with someone other than my sister, cousin, or mom. I dreaded Barbara, but her smile meant yes. <laughs> Citation Creed. Imagine our fantasies about them were true, but they really had refined their songs into a melody of words, merged their herds into tribes, invented politics, became aware of death, and now yearn for a faith. All their feelings are expressed lyrically. And through the flux of pressure waves, comrades swim in tight formation. Soon a whale messiah, a supreme bard, summons the wayward, singing that none should swim alone. Each should buoy the other in his slipstream. In a world of motion, this messiah's call travels the deepest currents across the oceans. And all welldom gathers and always <coughs> and and sways as he moves and is anointed by the gentle touch of his fluke. A common prayer, a breach into the air. They feel the winds which by their creed sail upward to the inverted blue sea. The clouds are worshipped as the sprays of ancestors. Purgatory is the rocky shore. Their sh the shoals pressed hard against their breasts. In a world where hardness is unknown, except at the end of their lives, but their bark seas beyond the dry terrain to the most distant shore, where the heavenly sea curves down to the land, he sings of their loved ones who had washed ashore, their, those ancestors who crawled on earth, their skin scraped away by mud and stone till they reached the horizon of the heavenly sea. Then they rise again, swimming upward, Reaching, spouting, filling the air with clouds, while below those left behind swim together with their <clears throat> with their bard in their world, the living and the eternally living, swim in concert across parallel seas. Thank you. That was Richard Fine. Next up is a former Brooklyn Poets Workshop student of mine, a very good poet. Give it up for Abby Sayer. I actually have Jason's class to thank for this poem, so I think it's coming up soon. If you're wavering at all, take a course in blank verse. We'll do good things. This is called um, Camp, A Religious Upbringing. We left the world behind to kneel and pray on damp and dirty grass in Pennsylvania. A tribe of sorts, we talked about ourselves and made confessions in the wilderness. The songs we sang revealed a lust for war, 
The sermons whispered in our ears would linger long throughout our lives in cities, towns, and other hideaways. The smell of smoke would follow all who dared to leave the camp. There's something special in the campfire circle. The way the ashes rise to meet the sky. The way you clutch your friends in arms at night and use their comfort to disguise your fear. There's something calming in the morning chore of laying on your armor once again and carrying through your day of summer idol a steely strength more fearsome than a storm. It takes a stalwart kind of girl to sit and listen as your body's right to breathe is questioned and your mind is lulled with shame. Too smart to ask too many questions, but too intelligent to turn the page and keep reciting what you know is nothing more than babbling history unfolding in your lap, the thunderous echoes of brazen men and their audacious claims. There was the year that lightning struck the tree and split its body down in one straight line. We spent the night in tears, on our knees, mucus making pools on moss and rocks and flowers, teenage girls in rapture to the spirit of the Lord, and all our parents said, they are close to God. They let us cry and babble in the forest. They watched with pride and awe as we returned to breakfast tables, changed and cleansed of sin. They knew to let us suffer. They knew we needed to be withered if we were to bloom upright. They used to think about those humid nights while sweating on the subway, or shuffling through the streets to find a job or a home. I used to wonder if I'd lost some gift, some treasure that would guide me towards the center of my life. But I left that camp behind. I left the smack of cabin doors, the smell of smoke, the lullaby of insects as I slept. I put myself to bed alone and free now, no longer bound to paradise and pain. I do not miss the cloaking of my body, the grace that comes from giving up your mind. I find a bitter world still moves around me, but heaven makes no home inside my heart. I'll always be a weary one, but I'll run laps around these blocks and make my lungs unbreakable balloons, my heart a machine that will not malfunction. I do, however, miss the songs and all the conversations that we had, the ones I used to love so sadly now they're gone. I miss the sound of gravel underneath my shoes, the places where we used to hide, the waterfall and rocks below, the meals we ate, and all the trees we loved to climb. Damn <laughs> good. Quality of that poem. Can to be yours if you take my blank verse workshop. Not only was that a great poem, but every other beat was stressed. Which is incredible that a human could do that. I feel like it hasn't gotten any quieter downstairs. Did you, you ask me? Did you ask me? Yeah. They got louder, yeah. They got, they're like, fuck those poets. Let's turn it up. Okay. Where are we here? Um, next up tonight is Harvey Sauce. Get up for Harvey. Well, 
I was going to do one called In Big League Praise of Trump, but I feel I'd probably get stoned. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't seem to be the, price, uh, the right venue for it. <laughs> Instead, I'll do something called Chancing Upon Mesa Verde. Supposing Thelma and Louise had flown the Grand Canyon, having skipped the world's then largest ball of rubber bands in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Might they not also have found themselves, as I have, at the Anasazi equivalent of New York's Tenement Museum? Pueblo accommodations exponentially more surreal than any my grandparents, hesitant on the gangplank, could ever have imagined. I wonder if deerskin leggings hung out to dry, slapping against raw cliff face like hand-washed clothes draped over fire escapes scared off nomadic raiders or emboldened them, thinking to catch these skywalkers with their pants down, just the sort of question even the most forthcoming of concessionaires can't answer. No Guinness-worshipping roller coaster in the world, whether fashioned of metal or wood, can match Mesa Verde's cooperatives for sheer vertical drop. Experiencing them in 3D eyelashed beneath the brows of canyon rims, mascarid in vertigo grabs my autonomic nervous system and won't let go. Squinting upwards towards blue sky pocket alcoves co-occupied by eagles. I don't know what the Anasazi word for coward was, but were I then nesting among them in Cliff Palace or Balcony House, hundreds of feet above the canyon, Floor. I'm sure I would tiptoeing around the kiva so as not to fall in. The stickiest fingered of rock climbing Spider-Man would have declared me baggage they could do without. Shamans would shake a rattle and proclaim me white-faced chicken shit. <laughs> Unable as I would be to hurl defiant epithets at war whoopers below us. Were I Pueblo and not Jew, I might aver by way of incisive non-Talmudic explanation that skinwalkers repelling my musculature have caused this quivering not fear of heights. Even tightrope walking Wallenders must shake a bit. Paralysis and adrenaline fight to a bare-knuckled Jack Johnson draw. Eyes half closed, I trail tour guides to an SRO for frequent flyers. Certain Jacob's Ladder never rose this high, praying that what I cling to is Home Depot and not Antiques Roadshow, seven or more centuries old. I stare straight out, not daring to look down as others do. Every creak, every twitch of a rung shivers the queue. Ladder hugging towards barely audible Pandora strains of is you is or is you ain't my baby echoing off canyon walls from a couple's backpack radio. I can only envy the ease with which they lean out to hawk fat loogies at lowering clouds. <laughs> Park rangers, exuding confidence of surgeons, can find how they rarely lose a tourist. <laughs> Except, of course, for that one time. <laughs> and for once, I choose not to be exceptional.
Guess who's up next? Ricardo Hernandez. Give it up for Ricky. It's called Blind Sight. The sky was painted forever night, a color immutable to the young man as he walked the Brooklyn streets. His sighs visible and his cheeks are red from the winter breeze. He stopped to adjust his scully and slowly turned toward a voice. Siempre es noche, an old man muttered on the, on the breath. He sat on top of an empty milk crate outside the bodega on 4th and 53rd. His head hung low as his hands trembled in the frigid air. He struggled to hold up a sign that read, Con tus ojos idos. His clothing was dirty and tattered, looked worn out from harsh elements, looked as if they were once someone else's clothing, looked as if the old man was once someone else. Siempre es noche. He repeats as if it's a mantra, one he must keep up the same as his sign. The young man's understanding of Spanish was that of a newborn, yet he remained paralyzed in the wake of hearing the old man's voice. He stared at the sign, hoping letters would rearrange themselves, giving him a better understanding of the message. Siempre es noche. The old man's memories began to flash before the young man's eyes. Each aged line was a memory of familiar pain, a lesson vicariously learned over a great deal of time. His hands scarred by loneliness, his voice fractured from heartache, his shallow breath drowned by bad habits. Siempre es noche. The old man looked up, removed his dark shaded glasses, stared blankly into the space between them. Siempre es noche. The young man's eyes began to feel empty. The calm, cold, invaded retinas. His vision narrowed to a double coat of forever night. Siempre es noche. The young man's panicked breath fastened as his heart raced. Siempre es noche. The old man smiled, let out a familiar laugh, and said in a familiar voice, with your eyes gone, it's always night. Siempre es noche. The young man awoke in bed, sprung forward and opened broken eyes. He hung his head low and let out a sigh as he muttered under breath, it's always night. Thank you. I'm trying to take you seriously with the Cookie Monster on your shirt. But, uh, now I'm going to dream of the Cookie Monster saying, The Emperor is no chance. Uh, that's a surreal image. Where's Joy? <laughs> Next up is our Yopper of the Year from 2015. Give it up for Julie Hart. 
post-confessional update. <laughs> the poet is tired. The poet had one too many cognacs last night. <laughs> the poet couldn't tell you why. The poet wants to be more moderate. The poet has failed. <laughs> the poet is tired of being so fraught being the most intense person in some rooms and the least intense person in others. <laughs> the poet has a headache, that is, a hangover. <laughs> the poet has only recently been able to think of herself as a poet. The poet is waiting. The poet is tired of waiting. The poet continues to wait. The poet does not want to talk on the phone. The poet does not care about Facebook or Twitter followers or getting published. The poet continues to send out a tiny trickle of perhaps her worst poems, just in case. <laughs> the poet is still an optimist, despite all evidence to the contrary. The poet has symmetrical boobs. The poet thought you should know. <laughs> the poet is normal and unexceptional in every way but one. <laughs> The poet used to do yoga, but no longer takes classes due to the unholy repetition of truisms that make her want to spit. <laughs> the poet might think of more to add to this poem tomorrow. The poet might not. The poet does not know how to proceed from here. The poet will not consult her horoscope or tarot cards. The poet cannot find any grounds for complaint. The poet knows she is living in paradise, i.e. Brooklyn. <laughs> the poet feels silenced by the very nature of poetry itself, the way it brings up things everyone knows but has forgotten, and then lets everyone forget those things again immediately. <laughs> Rilke, anyone? <laughs> the poet realizes her poems are merely lists of incongruencies that sometimes form a congruency, sometimes not. The poet wishes she knew where this poem is going. The poet has no idea. The poet wishes to write about how to solve the difficult equation that is her real problem in this life. The poet can delineate the problem. The poet wishes she knew how much of herself to give to others, how much to hold back for herself, her own sanity. The poet has dealt with too many needy narcissists already. <laughs> the poet doesn't want to expend any more energy on those narcissists by telling you about her struggles with them. The poet already is regretting bringing up the whole subject. <laughs> the poet doesn't expect other people to solve her problem or make her happy. The poet won't be satisfied unless she works it out for herself. The poet wonders what other people think they're supposed to be doing with their time on this earth if not looking for this solution, how to live this gorgeous life. The poet knows that it can't be solved once and for all. The poet likes a continually moving target anyway. The poet is reduced to writing the poet on the next line and hoping for the best. <laughs> the poet. <laughs> say after that. Very, very witty poem. Um, we are on to the wait list now, because so many people didn't show up. Uh, so what we do with the wait list is we ask all of you on the wait list to uh, limit yourself to one poem so we can get to as many of you as possible. Um, our first person off the wait list is our wonderful intern helping out tonight, so not only applaud her for 
for a poem, but for her volunteer work. Give it up for Heather Hooper. rotations of the planets that turn like you on the tips of your toes, arms outstretched. Spin me, you cry, as I scoop you up until you're both too dizzy to stand. I tell you about black holes, the dying of stars, the seasons and the pool of the moon and waves, as you recite how I wonder what you are. I show you the three stars that make Orion's belt, the Big Dipper, and the North Star. Instead, you choose to dance, as if your pirouettes are all that matter. I envy you for dancing as if the earth beneath us stands still in awe of you. This one's called Ill Start. It isn't until you are jammed on a rusty bridge in Kentucky that you really begin questioning American infrastructure. Bolts as big as hands holding lines of cars, made in countries with cities my rural American tongue cannot pronounce. Its concrete cracked like the lines of an aged face squinting into the sun. Beams of color, beams the color of Alabama mud, red jasper, and the harvest moon. My mother detests bridges, as from the original Latin detestare, to curse, and she would, with white knuckles clenched against the wheels and the windows wide open. She knows just how to escape a sinking car, something I have never mastered. The fall, the sinking, the water is my baptismal, and this is my rebirth. Thank you, Heather. Well done. Is Jay Jurgensen here? No. Is Jeffrey Breu here? Or <laughs> B-R-E-A-U? It's funny. His name is crossed out, but there's a check mark next to it. <laughs> oh, do you really know that? <laughs> If you ever want to win the lottery, talk to Ricky. Uh, our next poet up is, uh, hopefully I get this right, Dario St. Fleur. That she give her life to fulfill, but not demise. Now, whenever I'm looking at her, I feel so shameless because I don't have the right to look her in the eyes to see. What can I do to make you feel better? Wow. She said, It's all your fault that I'm in this problem. You stripped me off of, of my power. But that shouldn't be a problem, because when it comes to poor living condition, you and I are both happiness. Except I'm full of hope, even when my hope, my pocket is full of emptiness. Man, 
love can be dangerous. I never thought that a queen would turn into a pawn and a priestess would turn into a simple flower. Now, all I have is my heart, but all she needs is material. What am I missing? Is it love? No. Her heart is fully materialized, which is a compromise because she loves sight of what love is really about. Now, whenever I'm looking at her, I feel a pain in my chest, my spirit cannot rest. I feel so shameless for not being able to build her nest. I cannot let that happen. Amen. Oh, I could. Thank you. Thank you. Is it Dario or Dario? Dario. Dario St. Fleur? Okay, great. That was Dario St. Fleur, if you needed to know. Uh, our next poet up off the wait list is Rachel Corso. Good for Rachel. I forgot to count, counted down when state polls would close and stopped, shut my mouth in a crowd of mostly women, women who all shut their mouths too, one by one as the states turned blue, then purple, then washed as a minute hand slapped on to red, the end of the hour, 10, 10 p.m. at the Java Center, and just waiting, wanting to return to the morning, my body was bound to the local floor in a cobalt blue pantsuit, ready. So ready, in fact, I couldn't see past non-shattered glass, past this starless walk back to my office in nude stilettos, shoes that make my feet feel two sizes too small, make me look five inches taller, bigger, a better, more respectable woman, all powerful in my hurt. The hurt of this walk as we walk, hearts heavy on the streets of the city, Clinton buttons still pinned to my left breast, and men still catcalling from the taxis as they slow past. Hey, baby, let me take you back to my place tonight. And again, I knew it wouldn't get better, never better than the moment I put on this blue pantsuit. The morning I thought a woman would leave, but tonight a man still took us home. So, my former one of BX students. Give it up for my teaching. <laughs> <laughs> Next up is Abdul Fattah Ismail here. Uh, that brings us to Maggie McLeod. Give it up for Maggie. Shadow Trump. 
As cobwebs of light formed before my eyes, I crawled into the deep, dark recesses of my mind. I first met fear as a familiar <coughs> foe. She whispered of death and realms unknown. Then arrived anxiety and the desire to please. I did all I could, almost begged mercy on my knees. I thought it might be over, that the shadow trip would end, when I recognized a siren who I thought was a friend. Everything I saw I took as a sign. Little did I see, my ego wanted her chance to shine. As the demons appeared, I tried to hide them away. But the more I fought, the stronger they got to my dismay. Gently, softly, I made my way home, my head spinning fierce. The only thing guiding me was my song. Life's simple pleasures felt so good to me. I recognized the joy of finding magic in the ordinary. And what I see now that I couldn't see then is that the monsters needed love. They needed to be let in. Because when we bring light to the darkest of places, we recognize we're all the same thing with a bunch of different places. Thank you, Maggie, for your poem and for your height. Is <laughs> Safet here? Star Davis, Christine, this poet named Christine. It's like the Stephen King novel. <laughs> okay, uh, I think we're gonna get to maybe a couple more. Uh, I'm very happy that so many people can show up so this uh, poet gets to read. Just renewed a membership and seemed uh, very confused about how the sign-up thing works. So uh, I feel <laughs> grateful that he gets to read tonight. Please give a warm welcome to Bill Considine. Thank you, Jason. It is my first time reading here. Glad to do it. This may remind you of Trump in some ways, but it was actually written before that. It's called Critters. The cereal box has a huge hole. It's knocked over. Cheerios, a few, are scattered, but most are gone. That's a big hole. Too big for a mouse to gnaw or knead to get inside. Dismiss it a fluke. It cannot be. It's a weird anomaly. But in the night, there's a skittering sound downstairs. A creature of size and stealth, busy and bold, come to our house. In the morning, stand in the living room. What's different? Where? I stand and wait. It slowly comes. A smell. Wet carpet? I look at my feet. Musk of an animal, fur and raw meat. I smell a rat. That's dirty flesh and fur under the floor. Under my feet, a rat at home, nesting in the joists holding up the floor, inches under me. No, not a rat. The smell's too strong for a small creature. If you smell a rat, you're smelling lots of rats. Hardware store people are firm. Only glue traps will work, and rats need the large size. I lay traps along the walls in the kitchen. Within hours, a big rat is caught behind the stove, gray and half the size of a cat, half caught, crawling, dragging the glue trap. The trap bumps the stove, and the straining rat pulls free, flees fast behind the stove, gone. 
The floorboard hole for the gas pipe is key ground. What sordid circumstance has brought us rats, made us filthy? What a basement teems with rats that lurk, creep, dart, steal, feed, escape my traps. This disgrace is danger and disease, a threat to our young child, big-eyed with wonder. Mice must be the word, never rat. No, mice is a lie, but rat must never be admitted. Critters, I say, I say varmints like Yosemite Sam. I say, I'm going to get those critters, but dag nabbit, it got away. <laughs> a neighbor also has rats suddenly. Just a look across the street explains it. There's a playground, and to its right, a building long boarded up. Workmen are renovating it. Rats have fled from there. <coughs> In my basement, I find an open window. My home is the exit highway for rats moving on, or staying. I nail that window closed and get to work. Glue traps are cruel. They suffer. I know. Glue traps are all I know. When a trap held a rat, or held half a rat that dragged it, I press another glue trap onto its head or back to disorient it and not let the rat roll out of the trap. I wait while it weakened through struggle, hoping its chirps and squeaks and scrapes and the scent of its fear would terrify other rats. <laughs> then, with a shovel, I thrust trapped rats squirming into a trash bag and carry the bag to a construction dumpster. This was no heroic hunt, need I tell you, and earned no praise. After a big catch, three caught and discarded in a day, that night the rats went wild in the living room. We could hear them from upstairs. They tore and toppled and dragged candies, papers, ribbons, all sorts of little things, made quite a mess in rage, I hope, at their loss. Glue trapper, rat grappler, varmint smeller, rat's nest dweller, low man, no man, mammal oppressor. Is any creature lesser? It's a sordid secret, not for office talk. What's new with you? Rats. Lots of rats. <laughs> I'm killing lots of rats in my home. Information kept from the child minimized. Wife averted her eyes from the rat man and his disgusting, dirty duties. As the rats ran away, what pulled, dragged me behind them? Scraping concrete, not teeth tore my flesh. After the rats were gone, the house emptied. What a mean confession was left. Thank you. Do if I have rats. That was, uh, that was amazing. Okay, uh, maybe time for one more. And of course, it's a poet whose last name I don't know if I can pronounce. Is it Courtney Toyaval? That's exactly right. Whoa. Wow. Let's hear it from you. Courtney Toyaval. Morning to help you 
balance the weight. I think of advice for trudging forward, to feed the mind, to feed the body, how both are never simultaneously empty. The brain dreaming of filling one has ironically filled the other. With prosciutto pizza tramps, with crackling chicken skin, or the reverse, vegetable drone of satisfaction bleeding into your bedtime. Wake up early. Ease yourself into the dewy mornings. Savor the night shift something lighter. The white sheets and sometimes flaky sunshine coming through to warm the black dirt of planted windowsill. Eat everything. This is a beginning. Walk long. Walk longer to feel in your body what it means to move on past wishing to stop. Okay, this is time that I get to put the mic back up to my height. Thank you, that was Courtney Toya Bow. Yes? The number, once again, to vote for Palm of the Month, 718-374-1953. I'm going to try to go backwards through our readers to refresh your memory. That was Courtney Toya Vow. Do your best to spell that phonetically. Bill Considine, before that. Uh, Maggie McLeod. Rachel Corso. Dario St. Fleur. Heather Hooper. Julie Hart. The poem, the poet, the poet, the poet. Ricardo Hernandez, Scott Conrad, Harvey Soss, Abby Sayer, Richard Fine, Julia Lynn Mesler, Alex Giorgio, Becky Torog, Denise Bell, and Charlene Guerna, and three people who didn't show up before that. <laughs> uh, if I happen to have uh, mispronounced your name slightly and you want me to get it right for the Yopcast, please come see me afterwards. 718-374-1953. You can only vote once, by the way. Don't kill my phone. And if you are, if you read for the mic, you're really not supposed to vote for yourself either. The whole point is to vote for other poets. Uh, that's just how we do it. If you win and read at the SmackDown, then you can vote for yourself. Remember to check out workshops, brooklynpoets.org. Thank you for coming. Our next YOP, the second Monday of February, which I believe is February 13th, if I'm not mistaken. Joshua Megan will be here to teach something related to the sonnet, which is, I'm sure, something we all need help with. Have a good night. Stay warm. Stay safe. See you next time. So there you have it, the Brooklyn Poets Yop open mic for January 9th, 2017. Congrats to Yop debuter Julia Lynn Mesler for winning Yop Poem of the Month, decided by audience vote for her fantastic poem Side by Side. Julia has earned free admission to a future Yop and a spot in our Poem of the Year Smackdown coming your way this December. A long way away, but you might as well look forward to it. Thanks again to our prof, Joanna C. Valente, for leading the workshop and kicking off the open mic. Our next yop comes your way on Monday, February 13th, featuring Joshua Megan, 
leading our workshop, probably on the sonnet, and kicking off the open mic. So we look forward to that. I hope you're doing well out there. These are tough times. Hang in there. Keep writing. Stay safe and stay bold. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.